calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. You're listening to Call of the Herald, book one of the Dawning of Power trilogy, a podcast novel written and read by Brian Rathbone. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening. Chapter 16 This life is but a brief tenure one of many perspectives the spirit must experience in the quest for eternity. Sadi Ja, Philosopher The clear skies and cool air would have been perfect for hiking, but they were accompanied by gusting winds. Funneled closer to the sands by the narrowing grassland, Katrin and her companions were relentlessly pelted with stinging sand. They held pieces of clothing over their faces, but their eyes still suffered. Be watchful for water, Benjen said. We need to replenish our supply as often as we can. They saw troughs left by a previous deluge, but no water. Katrin mentally explored the landscape as they traveled, hoping to find a spring, but the only water she sensed was deep beneath the sand. Do you see that dark column of rock? Is that a waterfall? Strom asked. If it is, it's awfully small, Chase said. Katrin cast her senses toward where Strom indicated, hoping she would detect water. She tried not to be upset when she found nothing, but she realized she had truly expected to be successful. Determined to make a thorough examination, she tried running her senses across the distant soil from another angle. Her spirits soared when she felt the slightest pressure of resistance. Focusing on that place, she sensed a very small amount of water, but water it was. You are both correct. It is a small waterfall, Katrin said and despite some sideways glances, they began walking toward the waterfall. As they approached, the land rose at odd angles and was difficult to traverse. Loose rock and scree made matters worse. A small flow of water trickled down the rock face, a shallow pool at its base. The water was cool and clean, and they filled their empty flasks. They tried to wash themselves in the small basin, but the results were only cursory. 
the murmuring water gave an air of tranquility. A tall tree provided shade, and moss grew thick over the rocks surrounding the basin. It would have been idyllic to stay there, but they knew they had to move on. Despite efforts to find anything edible, they had not found a morsel since leaving the valley. They were running out, thanks to the dunking most of their food had taken, and needed to find something soon. As they departed, the wind died down, making the rest of the day's hike bearable. The northern coast loomed in the distance like the edge of the world. Trees and vegetation became sparse, and gouts of dust rose from their boots with each step. They continued on, well after sunset, despite their weariness. The nearly full moon in a clear sky provided ample light, and the air became cooler, almost comfortable. Katrin was still wary of seeing more comets. She yearned for the exhilaration of their energy, yet feared the consequences. An abrupt turn in the mountains and the rush of the pounding surf signaled their destination, and the exhausted group made camp in a stupor. In the morning, they would turn east, marking another milestone in Katrin's mind. Another step completed and another step closer to safety. At least, that was their goal. They ate little that night, trying to conserve what they had. The next days were long and uncomfortable. They found no game and no water, though Benjen did find some edible roots and a couple of rare herbs. Beware the cactuses, he warned, as the plants became so numerous they were nearly unavoidable. Those with fine hair-like spines can be worse than those that look more intimidating. Stay alert and avoid them if possible. The next day they picked their way along the coastline, and the mountains dwindled to hills. In a few places, as the terrain allowed, deep blue waters could be seen in the distance. Those waters were surrounded by a barrier reef, and were said to be littered with rock outcroppings and extensions of the reef just beneath the surface. Strom stopped abruptly, startling the rest of the group. I saw a bright flash of light, over there, he said, pointing into the distance behind them. They watched for a few moments, but saw no more flashes or signs of movement. You most likely saw one of two things, Benjen said. A soldier's gear reflecting light, or a mirror being used to send a message. Do you see that cloud of dust? Chase asked, pointing into the desert. It appeared out of place. It did not look like a funnel cloud, and it seemed too narrow and isolated to be caused by wind. Benjen shaded his eyes and gazed into the distance. Take cover. Now, he ordered. There is no cover, Strom observed. All that dotted the landscape were small bushes and a few scraggly trees, and a mass of riders was thundering straight for them leaving little doubt they had already been seen. Boil them, Benjen swore. Draw your weapons and guard each other's backs. If we must die this day, then let's go down with a fight. 
Belt knives and short swords seemed like a pitiful defense, but Katrin committed herself. She considered stringing her bow, but she knew it would do her little good in close quarters. Her hands shook and her heart pounded. She had never been so terrified. The roiling dust cloud grew closer, and she imagined hundreds of soldiers bearing down on them, intent on her destruction. Let them come, Strom said through gritted teeth. I'm tired of running and hiding. Let this be done now. They stood grimly, determined to face this enemy. Katrin's instincts shouted that they should find some hole to hide in, but she knew they would be found. The shimmering air obscured the riders even as they came into full view, and they slowed gradually as they approached. They used no reins, which was foreign to Katrin. She saw, though, it was so each rider could carry spears, crossbows, and slings. The horsemen were at ease in the desert environment. They expressed no hostile action, but neither did they appear overtly friendly. They just moved forward with the confidence of those who know their land and their horses. Lean and muscular, their mounts' coats were lustrous, and their manes thick. Even their fetlocks bore long, thick hair that draped over their hooves. The tribes of Argast approach, Benjen said. Sheathe your weapons and hold your ground. Don't do or say anything unless I tell you. It's said they'll generally only attack if you insist upon crossing the open desert. The riders slowed their horses some fifty paces away. Katrin estimated more than a hundred horsemen spread before her, and she studied them, needing to understand this new adversary. There were several distinct variations in their clothing and saddles. The differences were subtle, almost imperceptible. One group had thin, dark sashes across their chests. Another group was distinguished by the braided manes and tails of their horses, and yet another by tattoos branded on their horses' withers. Only the occasional rattle of harness broke the silence, and the riders made no attempt to communicate seeming content to wait. Katrin glanced at Benjen, who stood patiently. She could see no sign of emotion on his face, but she could feel the anxiety of his energy and marveled that he could hide his emotions so well. Seven horsemen broke free of the line and walked their horses forward at a measured and deliberate pace. Six of them wore the same style she had noticed but the seventh rider was different. He rode clumsily and bore only a tall, iron-shod staff. His horse was tethered to the horse of the leading rider, and he appeared to be struggling to remove his headgear. They were close when he finally got the headgear off, exposing his frayed hair and wide, blinking eyes. Katrin drew a sharp breath when she saw Nat. He smiled sadly and waved as he approached. When the horsemen stopped, they dismounted gracefully, except for Nat, who nearly fell out of the strange saddle. The Argast gave a signal and their horses backed away. An equally subtle command sent the horses to their knees. What do we do? Katrin whispered to Benjen. 
You and I will approach them. The rest of you, stay here, he said. Katrin felt her face flush, and her anxiety rose to a new level. But she would show no fear. She and Benjen approached the Argast, but remained silent. The still-hooded man next to Nat stepped forward and spoke in halting words. We leaders of Argast tribes, I, Vertuk, a viper tribe, speak for all tribes. This man say you, Herald of Istra. True, he said, nodding toward Nat, who looked terrified. Benjen nodded his head slightly. Yes, it is true, Katrin answered. Nat seemed relieved, but said nothing. The tribesmen considered her answer and spoke harshly among themselves. As Katrin turned her head to check on the others, her eyes swept along the horizon, and she saw a light flashing in what appeared to be a pattern. The Jean, she whispered to Benjen, and he nodded again. She turned her attention back to the tribal leaders. Their conversation had grown more animated, and hushed tones gave way to angry shouts. Knowing the Jean's arrival could lead to a bloodbath, Benjen stepped forward. Gracious tribal leaders, I beg your pardon, but I fear dire happenings. Who you? Vertuk asked. Benjen, guardian of the Herald. Speak, Vertuk said after a moment. Enemy soldiers, follow us. They are signaling each other. We will all be attacked if we stay here, Benjen said with a slight bow. Vertuk turned to the others, and his words led to more shouting. He turned back to Benjen. Soldiers, follow this one, too, he said, nodding to Nat but we take care of them. We no fear soldiers, but we'll take you to safe place. He placed two fingers in his mouth and whistled a long, high-pitched note. Several horsemen broke away from the line and brought five riderless horses forward. Vertuk pointed to Chase and the others and waved for them to come forward. The approaching horsemen dismounted and presented headgear to each of them. A major difference between these headgears and the ones worn by the tribesmen were that they bore no eye slits, and they would not be able to see where they were led. Each of her party was paired with a tribal leader, their horses tethered to those of their custodians. The tribesmen waited for the others to put on their headgears, then helped them onto the horses. The headgear was suffocating and being unable to see left Katrin disoriented and queasy. A sudden cry broke the air, and the horses whipped around, moving off at a trot. Holding on to the horse's mane, she tried to synchronize her movements with his, but it was difficult without her sight and what seemed an erratic path. She let her other senses guide her. Through her physical bond, she made contact with the horse. She felt an overwhelming sense of power and endurance, but mostly loyalty. When she dug deeper, though, she could not help but sense the overwhelming sadness. 
this horse would carry her to the end of the world if he was asked, but the one to whom his loyalty belonged was gone. A feeling of separation and loss washed over Katrin, as her mount projected its mourning. Tears soaked her cheeks and the inside of her headgear. Her nose became congested and breathing became more difficult. By the time they finally stopped, Katrin was exhausted, mentally, physically, and emotionally. A muffled voice told them to remove their headgears, and she wrestled it from her head. Her sweat-soaked hair clung to her scalp, and even the warm breeze felt cool on her face. She gulped air as if she had been suffocating. Leaning against her mount, she felt as if he were leaning equally on her, as if bearing her here had brought some purpose to his life. It shocked her to sense his gratitude, and she was trying to let the noble animal know she felt the same when she noticed Vertuk watching her. He approached, pulled a flask from his belt, and handed it to Katrin. She nodded her thanks and drank. The liquid had a tingling sweetness that was warm going down, even though the liquid was relatively cool. She wondered for a brief moment how he kept it so cool, then handed the flask back to him. You feel better now, he said. She thanked him and realized her eyes had adjusted to the fading light. She was surprised to find herself in the mountains. But these were not like the mountains of her home. They looked more like enormous piles of clay that soared high into the sky, taller than any she had seen before. They formed an almost complete ring around the small valley, and it was cool in their shade. The tribesmen attended their horses, removing saddles and scraping sweat. They used large leather bags to water the horses. It took Katrin a moment to locate Benjen and the others, and she was relieved to see them unharmed. When she found Nat, he was limping toward her, leaning heavily on his staff. The ride had been tough on him as well. As Katrin strode forward to meet him, no one moved to stop her. She walked past many tribesmen who paid her little mind, seeming to be utterly consumed with tending to their mounts. The leaders, though, were gathered in a tight circle, obviously involved in another heated argument. When she reached Nat, he spoke out of the side of his mouth. We have much to discuss, but I can't speak freely, he said just above a whisper and at the same moment the tribal leaders separated. Vertuk glared at Nat, and he moved away quickly. Calm and confident, Lil' Miss, Benjen whispered as the leaders approached. Katrin tried to appear composed, despite her anxiety. Vertuk swaggered up to them. You, Katrin Volker, claim to be Herald of Istra. Yes? Yes, Katrin replied, wondering why they would ask her again. Prove it, he said simply. Chapter 17 That which is not broken can be made better. Ivan Jarveski, 
inventor. Frozen in place, Katrin was terrified that trying to prove her powers and failing would mean their deaths. Even success would be fraught with danger. Do your thought isolation meditation now, Benjen said to her even as Vertuk's glare demanded his silence. She wasn't certain she could do it, but she had no better ideas. She sat on the ground, cupped her hands, and closed her eyes. Her mind was hammered with intense thoughts too fleeting to grab onto. She focused on her frustration, squeezed her eyes shut, and ignored everything else. The gasp from a tribesman distracted her, and she channeled it into annoyance, letting it feed her anger. She forced her mind to be consumed by a raging tirade that included a litany of irritants and annoyances. Each grievance was slammed into that thought. While some part of her cautioned against such anger in a meditative state, she slammed that thought inside too and let it feed the rest. She had no choice but to give this effort all she had. When her energy reached its apex, Katrin could find only an angry haze of emotions. She raised her cupped hands slightly and threw them out wide. Concentrating on a second, more positive thought, she slammed her hands together, smashing the accumulated mass of negative energy with the positive charge. A blast of hot air rolled away from her, and booming echoes resounded. Katrin opened her eyes to see what she had wrought. Benjen had sat down, heavily, looking as if he had been assaulted. The others looked as if they had been struck by an enormous hand, so dumbstruck were their expressions. The leaders once again convened in a circle, and the meeting almost instantly transformed into a brawl. Men quickly separated those who fought, and soon they were back to their heated argument. Several more scuffles erupted, and Katrin waited in silence for the madness to play itself out. No one said anything, lest the enraged group turn on them. The fighting reached a crescendo, and it seemed all of the tribal leaders were involved. An elderly man advanced toward the writhing mass, shouting, waving his arms, and pointing at the men. Katrin did not know what he said, but his words seemed to demand order. The brawlers removed their headgears and began to treat their wounds. Vertuk's nose was bloodied, and he began to stuff small bits of cloth up his nose to stanch the bleeding. The old man lectured the leaders while they dressed their wounds, and it was plain that he shamed them. When the meeting reconvened, it did so in a much more subdued fashion. After what seemed an interminable time, they appeared to come to some conclusion, and they turned to face Katrin. Vertuk stepped forward. We do not believe you. Proof, not enough, he said, having difficulty speaking with his nose plugged. Katrin heard his words and felt a cold, sinking feeling in her stomach. This was not going to go well at all, she thought and Nat's stricken look confirmed her fear. One more chance. You show big power, Vertuk said, waving his arms out wide. 
or all die for trying to fool Argost. Katrin moved in front of each tribal leader and looked each one in the eyes. She measured them individually, and many became offended and enraged. One man had to be restrained by his tribesmen, but Katrin did not flinch. These men were threatening to kill her and her companions, and she had nothing to lose. She strode slowly back to the center of the group and addressed everyone in the valley. The tribes of Argast have assaulted the Herald of Istra and her guardians. They have asked for proof of the Herald's power, and they have found her demonstration insufficient. Now I will show the tribes of Argast the true power of the Herald at their own peril. Power is a dangerous thing, and to see it is to be threatened by it. Once unleashed, fate will choose its own targets. I have tried to spare you, but you leave me no choice. I must put us all at risk. You have made your decision. So be it. Her words echoed and hung ominously over the valley. Not waiting for a response, she strode straight to Nat and looked him in the eye. His fear was showing. May I have your staff? I can deny you nothing, Lady Catrin. He said loudly and bowed, presenting his staff. She accepted it, and it felt good in her hands, lighter than it appeared. The iron-shod tip somehow balanced the strange staff, and she could feel its strength as if it had power of its own. The wood was smooth and highly polished, but was not slippery or oily. She hefted it with a determined smile and turned to her companions. Guardians of the Herald, I call you to duty. Please assist me while I satisfy the curiosity of the mighty Argast tribes. Benjen winced as a few men reacted to her comment. He and her friends stood before her, awaiting her command. She was not surprised that Nat joined the group, but when Vertuk stepped up, it gave her heart. While the tribes had been fighting, Katrin had been scanning her surroundings for energy. The mountains revealed nothing to aid her, except a small clue. Water. She guessed heavy rains fell there occasionally, and when they did, the runoff would have to go somewhere. She looked at the sand, sensing the surface, then delving beneath it. The sand was not very deep in the valley, and in places it was only a couple of feet deep. Under the loose sand, a layer of compressed sand formed brittle sandstone. Not far beneath the sandstone, she sensed a layer of bedrock. When she cast her senses deeper, through the bedrock, she found water. Her father had taught her about artesian basins, and she remembered her lessons well. This valley had all the criteria. Rainwater drained down from the mountain and into the basin, where it fed an underground aquifer. Layers of rock that rose higher into the mountains also collect and held runoff. Water was trapped below an impermeable layer of bedrock, and subsequently was under intense pressure. Trusting her instincts, 
she scanned the bedrock for thin spots, and she found her target at the back of the valley, a short walk from where she stood. Asking her guardians to follow her, she strode confidently toward that spot. The valley floor sloped downward, and the sand was a shade darker in the area Katrin selected. She stood atop the spot, closed her eyes, and reached into the sand with her senses, trying to be fully focused. Her mind pierced the bedrock and felt the intense repulsion of the water. Moments passed while she considered her options. The lives of many depended on her decision, and she did not want to make it in haste. What do you want us to do, Katrin? Chase asked. I think they're losing patience. I want you to dig. No, oh, for the love of everything good and right in this world. Not the digging thing again, Strom said, and Chase smacked him on the back of the head. We'll do whatever you say, Katrin, Chase said. Just tell us. Dig a hole here, please. Make it as deep as you can, she replied, leaning on Nat's staff while the others dug. She needed to conserve her energy for the task ahead, although she was not certain she could do anything. The energy that the comet had spilled into her world was fading like a scent on a breeze, and it was becoming increasingly difficult to detect its energy, let alone harness it. Her senses seemed to have dulled in the time since the comet was last seen in the sky, and she wondered if she could ever get those sensations back but she put the thought from her mind and concentrated on what she must do. Her guardians made good progress, and the hole was already quite deep. Chase stood in the hole, and only his head and shoulders were above ground level. The initial dig had been relatively easy, allowing them to use their hands as shovels, but when they reached the layer of sandstone, they had trouble going deeper. They used everything they had to break up the brittle sandstone, and they removed it in large chunks. Katrin desperately hoped the tribesmen would have enough patience to let them finish, and as the last of the sandstone layer was cleared from a small area, she saw the bedrock. That concludes this episode of Call of the Herald. For more information and additional downloads, visit brianrathbone.com. Thank you for listening.